Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Julia de Clemente. Julia is a senior counselling psychologist at the Maudsley Eating Disorder Service in London, where they are involved in the Freed Pathway. Julia is involved in a national rollout of the Freed Pathway and joins us to share more information about Freed and the importance of services adopting its approach in treatment. Hello, Julia. Hi, Han. Thank you very much for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure, honestly. I don't want this to sound weird, but so I did my master's in eating disorders and anybody that works at the Maudsley, I'm like, you're an A-list celebrity. Like, you you like work in Hollywood to me. <laughs> I, I did kind of feel the same when I joined the service as well. Not about myself, obviously, yeah. but about the service. So I do appreciate it. Yeah, it's a yeah. good place to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys are doing such brilliant work, which is why I'm so excited um, to chat to you today. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, So today we're talking about Freed. Um, The listeners might have heard of Freed. They might be thinking, what on earth is Freed? Um, So would you mind giving us an overview of what the Freed model is? Yes, absolutely. So I think Freed sometimes can feel a bit confusing because it's not an actual therapy approach. So it doesn't substitute, for example, let's say cognitive behavioral therapy or psychodynamic therapy, but it's a service within a service. So what that means is that um, usually eating disorder services will implement the Freed pathway. Um, And what that does is um, it's, it's meant to be there to allow people um, to access specialist treatment faster and for that treatment to then be individualized to their needs. Um, so, yes, it's, it's, a, I, it's a way of ad- adapting kind of the, the therapies that we know to meet this specific sort of population and this particular sort of age range so that we can make the therapy hopefully as effective as it possibly can. Sure, sure. And um, I guess there you said sort of to meet a specific population and age range. So what are the specifics behind that? Yes. So Freed at the moment, it's aimed to people within the ages of 18 to 25 and with an eating disorders of three years or less. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to highlight, I know sometimes when we say these numbers, it can feel a bit disheartening to people who might be outside of mm-hmm. either one of these ranges. And this is kind of a... A starting point. So we really do hope that at some point Freed um, or at least any anyway kind of eating disorder services can expand their criteria so that we offer specialist fast interventions to everyone. So it is just the beginning. Um, yeah. yeah, sure. And do you know the reason why it's that age range and sort of that duration of illness at the moment? Yes. So there are different reasons, really. If I start by talking about the why the three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so from what we know, I guess, from research is that the first three years of an eating disorder are quite important. Um, so 
if we can act quickly and help someone struggling with eating difficulties within the first three years of their illness, then some research shows that we can have better outcomes, we can get to full recovery uh, faster, and that means that the person can go back to sort of living their life um, free of an eating disorder, um, which is kind of what we're aiming for as Hence many people name. as possible. Yes. Um, so the part of this reason as well is that we know, um, I guess, that eating disorders can affect the brain. So it can cause changes to the brain. And although initially some people might experience some eating disorders behaviors is quite rewarding. So I know sometimes people kind of tell me that they might feel a little bit proud of what they're achieving. It's quite normal to have that initial response. Those behaviors then tend to become a bit more habitual. So it was something that we tend to repeat over time without really realizing that we're doing it. And then the longer we go without treatment, the more those behaviors become ingrained in the brain. So they become a little bit hardwired, which means that the brain then becomes a little bit less flexible about change. And so that's why it's a bit harder to make changes. Still possible, but a bit harder. And then I guess kind of thinking about the particular age range and the three years. So we know that most eating disorders tend to start between kind of adolescence and young adulthood. Obviously, that's not the case for everyone with an eating disorders. We know that they can start at any time, but what we know is that most of them tend to be within those ages. And at that point in time, our brain is really very much still kind of changing and maturing, and an eating disorders can kind of disrupt that kind of brain development. Um, and then one thing that has been brought in more recently is this thought of kind of emerging adulthood. So we tend to think of people within the ages of 18 to 25 years old as being emerging adults. And if you think about that period of your life, we don't obviously become adults overnight just because we turn 18 doesn't mean that we have it all figured out and that we know what's happening. <laughs> um, but it's a period where there's usually a lot of changes. So a lot of the times, you know, we're finishing school, going off to uni, going traveling, potentially sort of moving out on on our own um, so it's it's a part of our life that a lot of people tend to describe as then feeling in between mm -hmm. so where we we're not quite sure what's happening but also it's a time when we're starting to develop our identity so what we wanted to do with freed is to focus on this particular age range because we thought that this was a time when we probably all need a bit more support to guess, manage these transitions in our life, um, but also to, I guess, help people get to a point where they can form an identity and they can live an adult life that's free of an eating disorder. So where the eating disorder is no longer part of their identity. And that's why we're, we have this kind of two benchmarks for freed. Mm -hmm. um, as I did say before, we are hoping that, you know, in, in the future, this will get expanded and that obviously we can help everyone regardless of age and illness mm -hmm. duration. But it is a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with everything, you know, you have to have a like a starting point, don't you? And I think mm -hmm. it would be so totally wonderful if you turned around and you were like, we've got this pathway and it's, you know, it's for everybody. Yeah. Um, but actually, I think the fact that it is maybe narrower than maybe people want, it means that you can kind of 
you know, make sure that it is a really robust pathway and that it really works and then build and expand. Because, you know, if, if I'm thinking about a piece of technology, let's say, you never do it so that you kind of get everybody in one thing. You have like, you know, the alpha version, the beta version, different iterations and you improve Absolutely. it and expand. So I think that totally makes sense. Um, and I really think that that thing about identity is so strong and it's obviously it's, I think a lot of people do talk about how their eating disorder is their identity. And I distinctly remember when I was 18 and it was that shift from doing my A-levels to going to university mm-hmm. and it was like, what on earth is this? Like, I did not feel old enough in the slightest to be making yeah. those like decisions about, you know, what course I was going to do to then determine my career um and I think that it's a very vulnerable stage of your life where an eating disorder is a very attractive thing because it's like oh there's so many things you can't control right now why don't you control your food um and obviously it's not all always about control for people but I think there's a huge element there of identity and and just feeling really lost in the world um so I'm sure this would definitely help Absolutely. And if you think, for example, even about COVID and the pandemic, that's Mm. why there's also been a huge increase in in cases, because it was a time when pretty much all of us felt very much out of control and like we didn't know what was happening. And if you just think about someone, for example, who's going through their A-levels and all of a sudden they no longer have their exams that they've been studying for or they don't know whether they're going to be going to uni face-to-face or if they're going to have to do this from home uh, on their own you know without really having that social network so um, yeah it's absolutely a very vulnerable time and especially when there are maybe other factors coming in that make us even more unstable Uh, then yes as you said I think a a lot of the times an eating disorders can can really use that I guess to its advantage. Yeah sure so I don't want to be negative here, but I'm mm-hmm. going to ask. I'm going to ask the questions that everyone is hopefully thinking, or yeah. maybe not hopefully, but um, so it sounds brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it sounds like a brilliant approach and pathway. My question is, you know, you said about um, the, there's a rise in eating disorders, and you want to make it so that people are being seen quickly. They're getting the right intervention. They're getting really good, robust eating disorder treatment. But when I think about eating disorder services currently, there's not enough staff, there's not enough resources, you know, people are on waiting lists for sometimes three years, which, you know, the more and more that goes on, obviously, as you've explained, the more detrimental that can be. So how does Freed tackle all of that? (laughs) (laughs) Big question. Um... It, I, I will be kind of very honest. I, I think at, at the moment, most services are struggling. As you said, it's um, it's very difficult to be able to keep up, I think, with demand. Um, however, what we do know from research that we've done with Freed, so Freed actually started very small. So it started in, in our service at the Modsley, mm-hmm. and then it slowly kind of expanded to two other services. And then actually throughout the pandemic, we've expanded to about 50 services in the country. And the really good news is that although we've all seen kind of higher referrals and, you know, as you mentioned, kind of staff retention has been a bit of a problem within the NHS, we've actually been looking at data and we've noticed that Freed has been 
replicating our initial studies, which means that services that are involved with FREED and are, have adopted this pathway are really trying their best to see people as fast as they can um, and to prioritize them in, in, you know, in, in their waiting list to make sure that they're still following, I guess, the free pathway as, as it was initially kind of designed. And what I mean with, with replicating is, for example, when we've initially looked at data uh, for freed, you know, in, in the first kind of three um, services that implemented it, we noticed that freed was able to reduce waiting times, not only from referral to assessment, but also from assessment to treatment. And it reduced this for, by about kind of 40%, which is quite big if you think about it. And it was really positive finding. Um, and more importantly, I think what we've also noticed is that introducing FREED didn't make waiting times longer for anyone else in the service, because I think that's always really important. Just because we have a new pathway doesn't mean that then we need to sort of neglect everyone else or actually make it worse for them. Mm. And so it was it was really kind of helpful to be able to see that this wasn't the case. Um, I think with FREED as well, there is a concept that's called duration of untreated eating disorder. And I can tell you a bit more if you want to, but the, in, in terms of, of research, um, we were able to see that the FREED could reduce this. So the duration of untreated eating disorder, what, what that is, is basically that period of time from when you develop an eating disorder and when you when you start your treatment. So it's that period of time when you don't have support, basically, to to get better. And before Freed, when we looked at kind of data from here in the UK, but also from Germany, waiting times could vary loads, depending on diagnosis, depending on service, depending on geographic location, um, and they could be very long. So they could vary basically from between two and a half years to six years. That's a long time for someone to go without help. Wow. Is this, sorry, um, the waiting time as in like you've gone to your GP and then you're waiting or is this like the period of time that maybe you don't know you have an eating disorder like when you first go to the GP for support? So it's when you're looking at when someone would have met criteria for a diagnosis of an eating disorder and then from basically that point to when they first get in touch with the service so that could be for example their assessment mm -hmm. so if you think someone waiting six years is you know it's yeah. an incredibly long time and when we then looked at what freed could do is it could you know it could reduce this by at least kind of 19 months and this was even kind of more pronounced when freed could be delivered in sort of optimal conditions so that means for example when we didn't have to wait for funding to be able mm -hmm. to see someone and this seems to be sort of replicating now, which is good because it means that services are able to see, you know, people faster. Um, and of course, you know, if we see someone within the freed pathway faster, it also means that then we can see someone else who might not be on the freed pathway also faster because we still have that sort of clinician time that we're saving in a way. So that's how freed can benefit, I guess, mm. everyone. So how does Freed um, sort of reduce that time between when somebody meets the clinical diagnosis to their assessment? Because I maybe I've got this wrong, but in my eyes, the Freed pathway sort of would start at your assessment. So how does it increase, uh, decrease that time before then? So this is something we're trying to 
to work towards because generally there are different reasons why the duration of the untreated eating disorder can be long and why it's difficult to kind of shorten it. So Freed is trying to address more of the service delays. So those would be like the waiting times or, for example, sometimes GPs in your area might not be aware that there's an eating disorder service or what their criteria are for referrals. And usually freed clinicians will do a bit of work around kind of informing GPs, letting other services know that this pathway exists, what it is, how we help people, what kind of people we would like to see, which is everyone. Um, and I guess that helps with reducing those kind of waiting times. Um, another part is, you know, more kind of on a personal level. So someone who's struggling with eating difficulties, first of all, they might not realize that they're developing an eating disorder. They might really struggle with, with the idea that they want to make changes. It's a difficult decision to make. Um, they might not have a lot of trust in services. You know, as you said now, I think sometimes the idea of maybe being put on a waiting list, obviously it's not appealing. And so it might actually put people off from, you know, reaching out. Um, they might have maybe been given like some difficult advice or maybe not quite right advice when they initially sought help. Um, so Freed, I guess, tries to address that by, for example, using a bit more social media, trying to sort of communicate with, you know, the person that might be struggling with eating difficulties uh, about what, you know, eating disorders are. How did they, I guess, show up in the first place and where they can get support? Um, it's really very much a work in progress. And I think it's something that we're constantly trying to, to think about. And we're trying to kind of use the research about emerging adulthood to then think about how do we as services, I guess, communicate in the right way with someone who's eight, between the ages of 18 to 25. So we're always thinking of, I guess, maybe a bit of like new ways of communicating and getting in touch because I feel that that would be really helpful compared to perhaps the usual letter from your service yeah yeah I actually um I've got loads more questions later yes. on that Go are linked to the uh video that you guys have on your website because I watched it and I was like I actually like this is going to sound so bad to the NHS but I was like I actually can't believe how good this is like it was such a good video um and gave so much information so I think you guys are absolutely knocking the nail on the head there in terms of kind of you know getting that message across and I think that's really important because like you say when you are somebody you know potentially thinking that I might be struggling with an eating disorder it I think it is very difficult to reach out for support yeah. because often with eating disorders there's that mentality of I'm not sick enough or mm -hmm. you know I don't need help and, and maybe I don't want to let go of my eating disorder um but to have some like a video that you can relate to that kind of describes your feelings I think that really helps somebody to then come forward and I just wanted to pick up on something that you said which I initially was going to be like I was going to ask you a question about and then you sort of answered it yourself but I really wanted to pick up on it in that um I think you said you know pre like when you were talking that the priority for freed would be sort of those service users between 18 and 25 and the kind of the less than three years duration and that made me think oh so what happens to everybody else then are they just kind of kicked mm -hmm. to the curb but then you said you know obviously that means that clinicians because they're 
treating people early, which means that their sort of time that they need to have treatment is less, it does then mean that you've got more time to focus on everybody else. And I think that is, that's really what we're missing at the moment is because we're not able to get to people, their duration of illness is then so much longer. And Mm -hmm. that then means that the waiting times are so much longer. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think even with kind of free, you, you mentioned a video, we're always trying to come up with new resources. And those resources aren't just for someone who's on the freed pathway. We end up sharing it with anyone that we think could benefit from it. So it's very much not an either or. Um, you know, it's, it's not about choosing between the people that we see because um, that wouldn't be fair at all and it wouldn't work anyway because we're, we're all very different you know the time when we present to services is obviously different it's very personal um so i think it's about finding a balance and you know as you said at the beginning it's very much kind of starting from somewhere to then i guess build up and increase and kind of do, do better overall yeah absolutely yeah and i think you know doing better that is kind of so important so that people are getting that treatment that they they need and you mentioned earlier about how freed is um aiming to make it so that the treatment that people receive is not only you know in a timely manner but is also more individualized mm-hmm. i just wondered how you know what sort of things freed the freed pathway does to make sure that people are getting individualized treatment yeah so generally when we started thinking about you know the emerging adulthood stage we then thought about what would perhaps be helpful for someone within that age range and so usually there are a couple of things that we tend to focus in therapy Um, one would be thinking about any transition so for example when someone comes to us are they about to go off to university what kind of support do they need when they go off to university or for example if they're about to go traveling how do we make sure that they're okay during that time is there anything we can offer before they go away that would support them during that time Um, We then very much, I guess, include the concept of emerging adulthood in our session. So we we also have a leaflet about that, which is on the website. It can can be freely accessed by anyone. I I really love that leaflet because it makes it, I guess, so clear about what it's like to go through that stage of of your life. And sometimes it, it can really help someone coming to see us to know they're not the only one that are struggling with maybe friendships for example changing and not being sure if the friends they already have are still just maybe you know the same friends as before do they want to still be friends with them and so just making that very much part of the conversation in therapy so um, again trying to help them then develop an identity that's outside of the eating disorder including other topics um Part of it is also thinking about family involvement. So one of the adaptations is you know, just because someone is an adult doesn't mean that they no longer need their family or that suddenly, you know, they're on their own and that's it. Um, sometimes, you know, families, it could be even close others, doesn't necessarily need to be a parent. It could be, you know, sister or brother or, you know, partner um, can be such a great form of support because we know that, you know, for therapy, we see people once a week. And then the work sort of happens outside of that time. So being able to involve someone else that's close to them to support them, it's really effective. It's really helpful. And it actually kind of decreases the sense of loneliness that eating disorder often create. The last thing we we usually think about as part of Freed is very much social media. So we know that social media is is, uh, usually a big part of 
people's life, especially within that age range. But now, you know, even outside of it, it's a, you know, it's a question that we tend to ask uh, to everyone that comes in our service. And so we, we think about how do they use social media? Does it ever have perhaps a bit of a negative impact on the recovery or on their symptoms? Um, so that we can keep this in mind, we can perhaps give them sort of some tips if we have them, or we can think with them about how to use it in a, in a way that can be more helpful. Yeah, and the social media piece is so important. I think it's often missed in therapy, but you know, like you said, nowadays, you know, for this age range and and for people outside of the age range as well, like mm-hmm. social media has such a big impact on kind of what you think the way that you think about yourself the way that you think about others and when I I used to work in an eating disorder clinic and I remember one of the therapists used to do like a group thing of navigating social media Mm -hmm. and it was quite like a novel concept in the clinic in terms of like other people hadn't done those group workshops and actually I was like that's such a key part because I think you can your social media can either like make or break your recovery in my opinion you know if you're Mm -hmm. following people that are maybe not pro recovery or you know they might not even kind of have an eating disorder stance but they might be negative towards your recovery if they're making you think badly about yourself or the content is triggering as opposed to you know having that really uplifting or you know I the other day was like I am unfollowing all these accounts that make me feel rubbish about myself I just followed so many cats I have two kittens and (laughs) my feed is just full of cats now and it makes me feel so happy like if I'm having a bit of a down moment I think you are attracted to social media to get that buzz and now I go on and rather than it making me feel worse because I feel inadequate I'm like oh look at all these cute kittens and it's so much better so just some like things like that I think to be supported in adapting your social media feed I think can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And I follow a lot of cat accounts as well on my social media. (laughs) Um, But I definitely agree. I think social media is one of those things that can be so helpful, but also so incredibly unhelpful. And especially now, I think there's just so much misinformation about, especially, Mm. you know, surrounding eating. Um, I think there's a lot of people on social media that are trying to give advice, but... uh, it's not a advice that works for everyone and also a lot of the times it's not the most scientific advice and I, I know a lot of the people we see in our service sometimes talk to us for example about the you know what I eat in a day videos and those can be so unhelpful and especially if someone is trying to recover and maybe they've been given a meal plan it, it can feel mm-hmm. so different and it can it can really become an obstacle. So I think it's really helpful for us to then include that in therapy and think about, you know, how are you using social media? Do you need a break from it? Or can we think about a way in which you can use it so that it it supports your recovery rather than makes it harder? Um, And so, you know, for example, we we recently found out that, you know, on, on Instagram, which I didn't know about, but I've started telling people now that you can actually sort of go through your settings and decide what, you know, words you want, I guess, Instagram, for example, to filter out. And so it will show you less of those of those posts. And I think that can be so helpful and, yeah. you know, it's so good for someone who's trying to recover if they can avoid, you know, seeing all, all of those videos all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, for for some people, it might be maybe, you know, putting a timer on their apps, and Mm -hmm. that's good as well. Or, you know, maybe some apps can just be deleted altogether. Um, So, 
Yeah. Well, that's brilliant advice. Thank you for that. I, di I didn't even know that was possible. So do you literally just go into your settings? Is that on Instagram? And then you yeah. can kind of, wow, that's brilliant. That, yeah, that I think will be really helpful for people. Um, so thank you. And I love the idea of setting a timer as well, because I think especially, uh, I mean, I don't have TikTok. I've never had TikTok. And a lot of people have said to me, oh, you should get TikTok for full of beans. And I'm just like, I'm not putting myself on there because uh, mm -hmm. I know that wouldn't be good. And But I've people have um mentioned it to me before and there's no like time at the top so you have no idea how long you're endlessly scrolling and i just think oh god you could very upsettingly waste a lot of hours on there and 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 i think as well because it's so quick like mm. you know you're constantly just being fed those images um and not really even thinking about what your brain is taking in but it really does then impact how you see the world around you i think absolutely and you know sometimes i think in, in a way, I'm almost kind of pleased that when I was growing up, you know, social media wasn't as present yeah. as it is today. You know, it was very much Facebook, which I'm aware makes me sound really old, but, you know, <laughs> it was pretty much what, no, what was available. Um, Facebook and, I, and MySpace, I think it yes. was for me, an MSN. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and in a way, I, I thought it kind of perhaps made it a bit easier for us because it meant you know especially during that time when you're already feeling in between like you have no idea where your life is going what you're meant to be doing you didn't have to constantly compare yourself to others and now I think it's harder because you keep you know going on social media and seeing everyone you know seems to be living the perfect life and of course that that's not the case but for someone who's already struggling, who's already unsure of their own life, then constantly being faced with these messages is, is obviously very hard. And, and so I think it's important to then think about it and think about how it affects them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I always think that about like what I eat in a day videos and when people post like, you know, Instagram is literally a highlight reel. You're not going to post the really mundane stuff that you're doing in life. Um but it's it's so it's the sort of thing that you really massively do compare yourself to. But, mm -hmm. you know, with you know what what I eat in a day videos and stuff, you have no idea what somebody is doing in their life other than that. Um, and that is just like one day and potentially could not even be true. Like, you know, what about the little handful of something they have here or there or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, it's very snapshot. And I think it can be so destructive for people because people will see you know an influencer or somebody that looks a certain way that maybe had they have an aesthetic that somebody wants to achieve mm -hmm. and so they then follow that diet but like you said earlier there's no science behind it and it's very specific to that individual and you know I think we've seen it a thousand times on social media and like everybody could do the same exercise and eat the same and they still wouldn't look the same but it's so easy to say that but to actually take that message on board is really difficult yeah, and when you're scrolling to remind yourself that mm. that is the case, it's even yeah. harder because, as you said before, you know, sometimes we, we've all, I think, mindlessly yeah. scrolled and we don't really then have that moment of, oh, actually, what what am I looking at? Is this helpful for me? Do do I need to, to look at this? We're just kind of, I guess, you know, part of it and we just keep doing it a bit mindlessly. So, you know, maybe becoming a bit more aware of how we're using social media can be quite helpful for, for all of us I think not just then yeah. you know people struggling with an eating disorder absolutely yeah I often say to my partner have you put your phone down today because I don't think that I've seen you without it um 
so yeah i think absolutely i think we all need some sort of training on maybe that should be a lesson in school even like how to navigate social media i think that would be a good idea um so i wanted to ask you a bit about your role um (laughs) as a freed clinician so for you what does that mean working as a freed clinician so in practice i guess what it means is that i sort of complete assessments which is you know the first i guess meeting you have with someone um that's been referred to our service and then i go through therapy with them um it's it's very rewarding i mean in general i think that the whole job obviously not just working with within the free pathway um but it, what i enjoy the most is kind of seeing people be able to make changes quickly um, and then get back to their life, basically, as, especially someone within that age range is so nice when I get emails to say, oh, I got into uni, I'm loving oh. it, I'm, I'm doing really well. Um, so I, I really, really enjoy that part of the, of the work. It's, it's really rewarding and, um, yeah, it, it gives you a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that must be lovely um, in terms of, I can imagine, you know, if you've had if you have a patient that maybe is really not going anywhere, it can be very difficult, but to sort of have people coming in and, you know, working really hard to get better quickly. Um, and then hearing about all the great stuff that they're doing must be, must be really lovely. Um, so I think I saw on your website that there's such a thing as a freed champion. And yes. I was wondering what that means. Cause it sounds fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a um, I think interesting word, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, funnily enough, I I started as free champion in in this service, okay. so I do have personal experience with this uh-huh. role. Um, the way I think about the free champion role, it's think of it as a bit of like um air traffic controller. So it's the person that sort of manages the pathway in the service. So they hold freed in mind for pretty much everyone in the service. So the, as the free champion, they sort of screen referrals as they come into the service um, to see if the person could be free eligible. Um, usually part of the role is also conducting something called an engagement call. So if you remember earlier, I said we were trying to sort of think about new ways of engaging people. And I guess uh, what we felt would be helpful is rather than sending someone a letter to say, you've been referred, we'd like to see you we actually thought it'd be really nice to give them a call to then kind of hear from them, you know, what they've been struggling with, how long has this been going on for, but also to give them sort of a friendly voice to talk to. So rather than just kind of like a generic, I guess, letter, they they actually get to talk to someone and they get to ask questions. You know, I think coming to a service for the first time is scary. It's probably really terrifying. Um, and having a clinician there that can answer your questions and can tell you, you know, this is what's going to happen on your on your assessment. This is what we're going to go through. Um, please call us if you, you know, if you have any worries. Um, then that's really helpful. Um, and then I guess part of the role is continuing to work with, you know, people within that free pathway. So as a free champion, you'd still do assessments. You still you know, see people for treatment, um, and then you help. I guess, clinicians within that pathway, then, for example, you, you help them book in people to see, um, you help book, you know, someone in for treatment. And so you, you get to follow, you know, all of the people through the pathway. That's why they're a bit like an air traffic control. They, mm-hmm. they have a kind of overview of everything that's happening. Um, it's, 
it's really again kind of I think rewarding role because you get to see not just how well the people you're seeing are doing but also everyone else mm-hmm. that's come through the service you know when I remember when someone used to come to our meeting and say yeah they've been discharged they, they did oh. really well even though I've never you know met the person they were talking uh-huh. about I still feel really really happy about it and it's a really positive experience yeah and I suppose it's it's nice as well for somebody to have that point of contact throughout um because in my experience of services you know you would have an initial call from somebody then you'd have an assessment with a different person then you'd have your treatment with somebody else and, and sometimes that might change and it can feel a bit like you know I'm kind of I don't know who is my sort of port of call if I have an issue yeah. or something. So that must be really nice to sort of have somebody um, have somebody there, you know, throughout the duration of that. Um, who knows what's going on with their situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then they can we, we have a freed phone, for example. So it's a specific mm. number that we use just for freed and people can text us, for example. So I've, okay. I've noticed and I definitely remember kind of at, at that age, I wasn't really big on phone calls. So if mm. I wanted to ask something, I, you know, I'd feel a bit worried or a bit embarrassed about calling. And so they can also text us, you know, which I think Amazing. really helps the communication if they say, you know, not sure if I want to come to the appointment they can just send it over text and then we try and get in touch with them so uh, I feel like that's that's also something really helpful about the pathway yeah which I feel like you know that can be such a major barrier in terms of somebody's treatment is that sort of anxiety or kind of feelings of judgment or something that someone's going to have over you and often there is a lot of anxiety associated with eating disorders and being able to text mm-hmm. to say, I'm not sure I'm going to come and then have that conversation with somebody that you're comfortable with. Um, I imagine increases the kind of um, participation somebody has in their treatment, which ultimately will improve the kind of duration that um, they have in treatment as well. And is there sort of like a particular duration with free that you would kind of give somebody or is it quite open ended? It really varies from service to service. So most services will will tend to follow, I guess, the the nice guidelines in terms of recommendations of duration of treatment. So that tends to be the same, whether someone is part of the free pathway or or not. Um, Sometimes it might actually last less because someone is doing so well that they don't need the full treatment. And that's that's okay too. Um, Some people need a bit more. That's also okay. Um, But we don't necessarily give sort of a time frame also because I think it kind of goes with you know the fact that recovery is very different for everyone so we don't have expectations of how long someone needs to recover by you know there's no kind of expiry date it's more thinking about what approach are we offering what's the recommended amount of sessions um, for that particular treatment and then we, we use that as a guideline. And is that the same with the sort of treatment that is provided is that depends between service to service and kind of what the NICE guidelines suggest rather than if you follow free, do you do X yes. form of therapy? Yes, exactly. So with free, it's more about the, the time frame that, that we have is more about kind of the the waiting times between referral to assessment and then start of treatment rather than the length of treatment, because the idea is, of course, that we want to see people as quickly as possible. So we're really trying to focus on on that part. And sorry, all these questions are just yes. No, that's why I'm here. Fire into my mind. Is it for every type of eating disorder? 
or is there a specific eating disorder that somebody would have? It's for all of them. Oh, okay. So the sort of um, the duration of illness, is that <laughs> applicable to all eating disorders in terms of the, the quicker that you uh, acknowledge it and start treatment, the, the kind of yeah. more optimistic recovery is and the quicker that recovery might be? Yes, I'd say that sort of research is still being conducted in this area. We're still getting a bit of sort of like di different views, but uh, the, the majority seems to be sort of pointing in the direction of the sooner we see someone, the better the outcomes. Um, it seems to be particularly true for people with the diagnosis of anorexia. However, um, I, th I think there can be a different reasons for this. I think with anorexia, it's something that clinicians, GPs are um, perhaps more trained around and it's perhaps a bit more visible compared to other eating disorders or sort of diagnosis. It's not always the case, of course, um, but I think it's one of those illnesses that tends to be sort of picked up a bit faster by professionals. And so that could also be a reason why people tend to be seen faster in services or get access to, to services a bit faster. Um, when we did look at the duration of untreating disorders, it, it seemed to be longer for people struggling with binge eating disorder, um, which is unfortunate because it's, you know, easily as upsetting, as debilitating as any other eating disorder. And that's why sort of Freed is looking at all diagnosis. Well, I love that. I'm so pleased to hear that because I was so worried that you were going to say, oh, no, it's just for people presenting with anorexia because uh, I think I would have had, no, I wouldn't have turned the podcast on. <laughs> uh, I would have had strong words. Um, but I think you're totally right. And uh, the reason I asked the question was because I think that, um, you know, particularly, you know, binge eating disorder, bulimia and OSFED and probably ARFID, they're not recognized as quickly and yeah. so i i genuinely think i would be surprised if somebody presented to you within the first three years um in terms of you know maybe recognizing that they had an issue or um it having the recognition from from their doctor or the gp um so i think that that for me is something that's really important is that we start having more training within those medical settings that are going to mm. see more people with those eating disorders because but even so you know when we talk about anorexia and, and this is something I'm very passionate about so I won't rattle on for too long but um you know somebody that presents maybe with atypical anorexia might not have it recognized um and anorexia obviously it's so important that people get the treatment for that but it's it is a small proportion of people <laughs> um compared to you know the bigger picture that I imagine we're missing a lot of people so by you guys doing all this work on social media and really getting the message out there that no matter what you're struggling with like everybody is um everybody is worthy of getting that support and, and deserves that treatment um I think that's really important to get across to make sure that people are getting the support that they need and getting it like you say quickly absolutely one 100 agree with you and i i think you know with eating disorders as well there's so much movement in a way in between diagnosis that it's always kind of a bit hard sometimes to recognize where someone might be at or what are they struggling with and that's why i really love the fact that freed is open to to everyone and mm. they're you know it's kind of moving past I guess the diagnosis but also past the you know the 
I guess the thought that you have to be sick enough, it's actually the sooner people come to us, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in, in a way, we really don't want them to get kind of sick enough. We want them to come yeah. to us yeah, yeah, yeah. as soon as, you know, they notice something's <laughs> happening because then we can we can get rid of it faster. We can just get them back to their lives. Yeah. yeah. I am honestly so glad to hear this um I don't know whether you follow full of beans on Twitter but I went on a bit of a rant last week about it wasn't necessarily a rant it was more of like a question to everybody to say do you think that we need to have these specific diagnoses like anorexia nervosa binge eating disorder bulimia or do you think it would be more appropriate to diagnose somebody with an eating disorder um and then provide them treatment based on their individual characteristics and behaviors rather than okay you have anorexia therefore we're going to treat you with this specific form of treatment because I don't actually think I've ever met a single person that says yes I got diagnosed with anorexia and it like fit my criteria perfectly like every element of it was dead spot on Um, and so many people I've heard you know maybe start with anorexia then they develop binge eating disorder but they can no longer get treatment because they now need to have a new diagnosis Um, so I don't know how you feel about that you know as a clinician it'd be interesting to hear your point of view as maybe the pros and cons around that but for me personally I've been diagnosed with um atypical anorexia well the word atypical to start with just riles me um but I don't feel like it fits me because I also have excessive exercise which is a purging behavior which is bulimia and it I think it would be so much better from my perspective to just have a broad eating disorder and then treat the individual i i think the the topic of diagnosis is uh, really interesting um <laughs> it's a really complex one um i can i think personally i can see both kind of pros and cons of using kind of specific diagnosis i think for some people it can feel really validating to have you know a specific diagnosis um not for everyone. Um, so I think the way I usually work is, for example, during an assessment, I will tell someone what I think, you know, their diagnosis could be. And then I check in with them. You know, does that suit with what you were thinking? Does that kind of match what you've been experiencing so that we can we can work together um, on, you know, finding perhaps the best diagnosis that I guess represents them and their current difficulties. Um, I think what's then important as a clinician is to, you know, hold in mind that everyone is very different. And of course, just because they share the same diagnosis doesn't mean that they'll go through, you know, the, the same path or they'll they'll have the same experiences. And and then usually, you know, when I work with someone is very much working with the person, they're not their diagnosis. And especially if I'm trying to help them develop an identity outside the eating disorder, then I actually want to get to know the person outside of the eating disorder. Um, and so I very much kind of use that in, in my line of work as kind of a guideline. Mm-hmm. I think the other perhaps argument for diagnosis is at the moment they do help us sometimes think about the treatment that could be most effective. And of course, we know that this is constantly changing and you know there's more research being done, which is really great. And it's being able to keep an open mind about things changing, but it can also help us as clinicians to think, okay, from what we know, to date is that this particular approach can be really helpful so this is maybe where i start and then for example with you know with freed but also with anyone else that's outside of freed you think about um, i guess adapting 
that treatment to the person's needs and making it, I guess, specific to where they're at in their life. What do they need from therapy at this point in time? Yeah, and and I think they are all, you know, very valid reasons. Um, and I think it's 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 difficult, isn't it? Because um, you've got to sort of have an approach that is suitable for everybody and allows you to give everybody the best care. I guess my the thing that I found really interesting what you said is that sometimes when people have a specific diagnosis, they find it very validating, and that to me is just kind of well, then their identity is kind of warped into their eating disorder and it's almost like you have this eating disorder so so you know it's valid um and at the same time I think it can be very invalidating to get a particular diagnosis so I think it yeah it's such a complex thing isn't it that I'm definitely not going to solve overnight but I'm just it's now the question I'm asking everybody because I'm just so interested to hear what everyone's opinion of it is um and sort of explore the different reasonings behind it because I have my own bias view but it's really interesting to hear other people's perspective as well I think it's definitely something very individual Mm -hmm. you know um, everyone has very different opinions about I guess diagnosis Um, what I meant when I said sort of validating is I, I think more than kind of being part of their identity is more about having I guess their experiences recognized and kind of going yes I can see you've been struggling and this is the name that we usually give to someone who's had similar struggles Um, and I think especially if you think about it as you know the kind of sick enough concept we were saying earlier I think sometimes the diagnosis especially around eating disorders can can really make someone feel kind of understood and that they don't need to get worse to be able to get that diagnosis you know they're in a way already there they're already like in you know in treatment and and needing you know to get that support and and then we kind of take it from there so they don't they don't need to do anything else really Mm -hmm. to I guess you know be be worthy not that I think anyone needs to be worthy but in someone's mind they might think they need to be I suppose it's an interesting point as well in terms of if that you know what you are diagnosed with does affect you it's that's a really interesting thing to then maybe unpick in therapy as to why (laughs) has that wording impacted you and I've always been very much of that opinion in terms of when people mention oh you know that triggered me um or like you know please don't do that around me because that triggers me and I'm like I get that completely but also you know you can ask me because I'm somebody that you feel safe around but things will happen in society and actually I found something really helpful in my recovery is when something has really triggered me to then unpack that in therapy and not to say to the person please don't do that but instead to be like why did that impact me so much like why did that specific person doing that specific thing really impact me so I guess the terminology may be used in the diagnosis is another thing to unpack and explore you know what's the side of story behind that as to why that's impacting you yeah well absolutely 100% agree so when people are listening I'm sure that they're you know if they're clinicians or working in an eating disorder Mm -hmm. service it sounds like you know the freed pathway is something that could be great for all services to take on board obviously said a lot of already taken up the freed pathway which is great to hear but if somebody is listening and thinking I want my service to do this how can they even start to integrate the freed pathway into their service so I guess the first step would be to look at our website which is freed from ed 
Um, there is an online training that is really accessible to everyone. Um, and then my recommendation would be to sort of get in touch with me um, so <laughs> that I can, um, as part of my role, basically, I can I can help services implement FREED. Um, um, so it'd be great to hear from any service that would be interested in, in adopting FREED. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really hoping that a lot will be coming your way um, because I think, you know, the more people that integrate it into their service, the more research you guys can do um, and then hopefully, you know, reach other groups as well. Um, and uh, not necessarily to end on a on a negative, but I just am very aware that, you know, if somebody is listening and thinking I've had an eating disorder for more than three years, mm. I'm not age 18 to 25, you know, what are the sort of hopes for Freed in the future? You know, do you think that it will be, as accessible or um kind of is there still chance that somebody could recover even if they're not sort of in that subgroup of people yeah I'm, there there's always hope first of all i think regardless of how long someone has had an eating disorder for there's always hope um for recovery for getting better for accessing treatment um as I said, you know, not just with free, but I think most services are really open to seeing everyone. We really do want to support anyone and, and everyone. And I think that the hope is definitely for the future, you know, that free becomes more accessible. Um, and if it's not freed, that it's something different, perhaps with a different name, but that still grants kind of quick access to everyone that's struggling with an eating disorder because regardless of how long someone has had it you know making the decision to seek help is is hard enough and I I can completely appreciate is really disheartening to then be told yet we have a long waiting list so um, I really do think that the hope is you know to get to a point where we can offer quick and fast and I guess you know um tailored you know, treatment to everyone regardless of the duration regardless of their age um because hope there's definitely hope and recovery is possible at any point yeah absolutely and i think my thing has always been you know if you look at the perspective of our oh, you know i've had an eating disorder for three more years for more than three years therefore i'm not going to recover uh, or like I shouldn't try because it's been more than three years. Every day that then goes on that you don't reach out for treatment is then another day that you could have started treatment. Um, so I always think even if it's been, you know, a really, really long time and you think there's just no hope, starting today rather than tomorrow could potentially mean that, you know, you get a step closer to recovery a day earlier. Um, so it is always worth reaching out and getting that support because, everybody deserves to get that support regardless of their eating disorder or, or whatever other factor that that might come to mind absolutely and I think you know if someone is thinking about recovery then to me that automatically means that there's hope because mm. they're thinking about it and so that makes it possible um in the you know the three years is just something we're starting from you know that helps us but um it means that perhaps recovery maybe takes a little bit longer is a little bit harder but still still very much achievable and possible so absolutely you know to anyone that might be listening I don't want just to feel kind of disheartening or feel like that there's no hope or there's no help um as I said it's not like an either or freed is a starting point something we're, we're trying to use um to help us get you know, I guess more research, more data on early interventions, and then try and make this accessible to everyone. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think the fact that it's all happening is just so hopeful um, and so motivational for for the future going forward. So thank you so much, Julia, for joining me. It's honestly been a pleasure and I feel like I have learned so much. Um, so I really, really do appreciate it. I'll pop all the details for contacting you and getting involved in Freed um, in the show notes below. But I'm really grateful for your time. Uh, thank you very much, Hannah. I really do appreciate you having me here today. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you and talking about Freed and hopefully sp spreading a bit more knowledge about what Freed is. Um, it's It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.